Nature Solutionaries is a podcast about conservationists who do amazing things for nature and bring inspiration into our lives. Southeast Asia is considered the region with the highest number of species facing immediate extinction. These species include iconic animals like orangutans or rhinos, but also lesser-known animals such as amphibians, fish, and reptilians. With over 80 critically endangered species, freshwater fish are currently the largest group of threatened species and they will also be the subject of this episode. Yes, you heard that right, fish. Even though most people view fish as tasty food on their plates, Freshwater fish are actually in desperate need of our attention and action. They are being threatened by pollution, aquatic habitat loss, invasive species, overharvesting, and water flow changes. Today will be my first time that I will talk about fish and more generally about why we cannot pump all the money into big animals but also invest into small species. It will also be the first time that I will conduct an interview with three experts, so let me introduce them and then we will get to the interview. My first guest is Narisa Chow, a conservation biologist who has been leading the IUCN SSC Asian Species Action Partnership, so-called ASAP, which tries to help these threatened species. My second guest is Mike Belzer, who founded Shoal, an organization that strives to protect the freshwater species. And my third guest is Nathaniel Ng from Mandai Nature, who is an expert on fish conservation. Narisa, I'll start with you. Can you briefly explain why Southeast Asian region is critical for wildlife conservation and what Asian Species Action Partnership is trying to achieve? So Southeast Asia is globally important for biodiversity, um, is incredibly species rich and has a high number of regional and country endemic species. So this means um, species which are not found anywhere else on earth. And amazingly in this region, there are hundreds of new species which are still being discovered. Um, so there's a vast wealth of biodiversity out there which we still don't know about. Um, but the species um, in Southeast Asia are also um, facing uh, serious rates of decline. There's a high number of threatened species in the region and the biodiversity is really under pressure. Um, so over the past few decades, we've seen significant land use change um, and the region has some of the highest recent rates of, of habitat loss. Um, alongside this, and unsustainable offtake of many wildlife species and um, other threats, which you mentioned in your introduction, um, are all driving um, species population declines. Um, so the Asian Species Action Partnership um, was created to um, end species extinctions in Southeast Asia. Um, it's a partnership platform which brings together over 200 organizations um, and we focus on a subset of some of the most threatened species in the region. Um, and these are species which are listed as critically endangered um, and that means they're one step away from extinction. Um, and we focus on the critically endangered mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and freshwater fish found in the 
in the region. Um, and we work to catalyze conservation action for these species, um, draw attention and bring resources um, to address the conservation needs of, um, of these species, many of which are not the large um, charismatic uh, megafauna you mentioned in the beginning, but um, often overlooked and um, lesser known species. It's interesting. Now I realize that it, in um, over one year of doing this podcast, I've already covered three species that are on ASAP list. Saola, Delacour's langur and Slow Loris. So yeah, today we'll be talking about fishes and um, that, that's exciting. Uh, Mike, can you introduce Shoal and tell us why freshwater fishes are important for the ecosystem? Yeah, sure. So I think you said a lot of it already in your introduction, and and the reason about the reason why Shoal was set up. So uh, we so I have a long history in sort of conservation, particularly in Southeast Asia, uh, and one of the things that came up quite often with us was that uh, freshwater fish were there was just very little going on, and in fact very little known about the freshwater fish. So when we were always doing these uh, assessments of where to do biodiversity conservation, where to focus our attention, there was, we were always drawing a blank on uh, freshwater fish. And this is something that's not just peculiar to Southeast Asia. It's something that's a pattern throughout the, the whole globe. Uh, and so we, we, uh, we, we, we sat together with a number of different conservation organisations and also um, people that are interested in fish, such as uh, anglers and aquarium uh, hobbyists, uh, and, we, and we and we made a decision that we need to to set something up globally uh, to to change the situation for freshwater fish because there isn't really there are some organisations working on fish and there's definitely many universities uh, and zoos that contribute to it but really there is there's very little uh, attention to it and and there's not there's not one sort of single organisation that's working on it. So, so, so we decided to set up this the Shoal Initiative, and the whole point of it really is is to uh, escalate and uh, uh, the the action for freshwater fish. And Southeast Asia is uh, one of those key areas where that you know where freshwater fish uh, are are really suffering and, and needs attention. And I guess we're going to talk about that more later. Uh, and freshwater fish are, are are really important because they're they're sort of flagships. Uh, and indicators uh, of the, the the health of our rivers and 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 lakes and our the wetlands across the world. So, so we quite often talk about wetlands, uh, but we, and but in, in conservation we often talk about those species that are above the water, such as the birds or something or some going back again to the megafauna like um, dolphins and and crocodiles and hippos and things like that. So, so we we very often forget what's underneath the surface. Uh, and but underneath the surface there's something like over 18,000 uh, species of freshwater fish across the globe they represent lots of different types of habitats when we start when we're seeing such extraordinary rates of extinction and uh, and and also um, the numbers of threatened species we start it's, it's telling us something that our relationship with these with these freshwater systems is is breaking down and it can show us and uh, uh, indicate many different things and fish uh, uh, you know, an essential part of that ecosystem, uh, and and so it's uh, and what's very important to Shoal is that the fact that many most people in the world are connected to a freshwater system somehow. Some everybody has got a river nearby or a lake nearby, or you know, so uh, and so you can understand the sort of impact and the intricate nature between people and and freshwater fish. We're going to talk about the relationship that people have. Uh 
to fish. Uh, but before that, I would like to give space to Nathaniel to introduce himself and to tell us more about the work that he does for Mandai Nature because he is a fish expert. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Glad to. Um, so first, uh, hi everyone, uh, I'm Nathaniel, uh, as Veronica so kindly introduced. Uh, and I represent Mandai Nature, who is a, which is an organization. We are based in Singapore that's focused on Southeast Asia. And we are dedicated to protecting threatened species, nurturing healthy ecosystems, and supporting vibrant communities so that nature and people can thrive and coexist. Um, and so fish, freshwater fish have been uh, identified again for us as well as a very target taxon um, because they're so neglected, um, yet at the same time they're so important, right? I mean, like Mike mentioned, everyone is within close distance to a water body of some sort. Human communities rely on water bodies and a lot of these ecosystems, these freshwater ecosystems are being borne aloft, right, by freshwater fish, which generally are the largest uh, group uh, animal group within them in terms of biomass so they fulfill very very important uh, ecosystem roles and the fact that they've been neglected for so long just does not bode well um, for the fish and also for us right as as um, animals well as beings <laughs> right that rely as well on all these freshwater ecosystems so yeah um, and that's why Mandai Nature chose to focus on freshwater fish I mean they're important they're neglected and they're Like you mentioned, there's so many threatened species, so it just felt right that we should, you know, do a lot of work on them. All of you mentioned that um, in your introduction that uh, fish are the most, I mean, that fish get very little attention and almost no funding. And we know that they are the most threatened taxon in the world. So are there any volunteers to, to answer this question? Like, why is there so much resistance or ignorance to their protection? when they are so threatened? Yeah, so, uh, maybe maybe I can answer that. So, I mean, that's one of the things that Shoals uh, aiming to, uh, to to address. So, you know, we have, we have three objectives, and one, our first objective uh, is to raise awareness uh, and, and, and increase the engagement with freshwater species and, and freshwater fishes. And, and it really isn't, it's not about resistance. It's not, there's certainly no resistance to it. Uh, it's really about uh, the fact that we, we, awareness. So, so if, you know, if you're watching wildlife documentaries, it's quite often, you know, large animals in East Africa or, or jungles in Asia or, or Amazon. And so even when, even when you have a program about the Amazon, it's usually about the trees or the jaguars, and it's not about the river itself and the, and the fish within the, in the rivers. So, Quite, so essentially, we, we freshwater and freshwater species haven't had their moment. They haven't had their moment, like save you know, save the tiger or save the rhino or save the whales or rainforests. Uh, and 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 simply we haven't uh, and we haven't what we call the Jack had the Jack Cousteau moment. You know, when someone's dipped their scuba mask underneath the water and exposed this um, world of wonder underneath the surface. So. People who don't really aren't really aware of it, uh, and there are groups. There are groups of people that are fully aware of it. You know, the, the people I mentioned before, the anglers and the and the people in the aquarium hobby. They, you know, they've got a, a, a wonderful fascination, and, and lots of people, local communities that live with with river systems, they're they're aware of it. But um, globally, it's not something uh, that's that, that had very much attention, and certainly people don't realise the, the incredible diversity and. 
uh, of fish around the world. And so it's really about that. So really about raising raising the awareness. And once you've raised the awareness, that's when you get the engagement. Uh, get, uh, so it's really that. And you're going to hear, like you mentioned, that over and over again, how we talk about being overlooked and neglected. It's, you know, it's going to be the theme of this, of this podcast, probably. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with what Mike says. I mean, it isn't sort of resistance as such, but just, I think more than anything, out of sight, out of mind. You don't see the fish. There a lot of the freshwater fish, not all of them. Some of the, them are incredibly beautiful, but there are many which aren't... Um, they're not going to capture the imagination and the minds of people that, you know, the tigers and the elephants do. And I think just as an example to illustrate this, in um, December 2020, 16 freshwater fish were declared extinct by the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. These were um, species on their ASAP species list um, from the Philippines. And I'm sure you haven't heard of this. It didn't make the news headlines. Um, most people aren't aware and and they've just disappeared before any serious efforts have been made to try and avert their their extinction. Um, so as Mike said, we've come together to really try and, and change this and change the fate of, of these species because they are incredible species and they do deserve the, the same level of attention and um, conservation action and focus as um, these other species. The problem is that fish are considered non-charismatic. Like you said, that some of them are beautiful, some of them are less, and most people view them as a commodity. As I said in the introduction, they're, they are seen as, you know, food, or people go to see them in aquarium, although that's that's a good thing. But mostly people see fish as food. So is there a chance that we can change this attitude? Yeah, well, personally, I think absolutely we can. So I, I, I think when you, you know, you're talking about people's relationship with fish is generally because of the commodities are in the supermarkets or, you know, quite often, for instance, those are marine fish anyway. Uh, but they, but really, people haven't had a chance to discover some of the incredible fishes. And you know, you've got places like uh, the lakes, Rift Valley lakes in in Africa that have uh, hundreds of species of fish together. Uh, and and it's just as beautiful and dramatic as you know a coral reef, uh, and the fish are incredibly beautiful. But people just haven't this you know haven't been exposed to it, and uh, even though that they're, they're familiar, very familiar to people in the aquarium hobby, and 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 it's just so uh, we we need to start telling these stories, and we need to show examples of these fishes, uh, and and some some of these fishes and the the fishes that are that are even on the list of ASAP that live in the Mekong, these enormous catfishes and enormous stingrays that are swimming in the Mekong. Uh, I don't think anybody has any idea that there's such an incredibly large fish live, living so closely to people in, in, this, in this river. So, so I think it's just a question of that we haven't been that told that story yet. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I can assure you, if, if I could give you, you know, 10 minutes to show you fish, that you'll get just as fascinated in, in them as much as you would be with orangutans. You know, I think that people might understand uh, the problem of uh, fish becoming extinct when they understand the consequences on, on the environment, on the ecosystem, and also on them. So what are the impacts of fish becoming extinct? Maybe Nathaniel can reply to that. 
I'll be glad to. So the thing about um, fish is, you know, like I mentioned before, they, they kind of form the largest biomass, right, within freshwater uh, habitats and within all aquatic habitats, actually. And I mean, what this, what this means is they fulfill many, many different ecosystem functions in, in each of these habitats. And this is across, you know, all different trophic levels, right, whether you're talking about well, they're not primary producers, but they do eat primary producers. And then you have to, you know, all the way up to the apex predators. These are all fish. And what happens when you have these fish being removed or extirpated from the system is then you get all these things start, that start to go wrong with the ecosystem, right? You get um, the nutrient um, flows are disrupted, you know, the cycling is disrupted. You get all these things where all the other animal groups that live within the freshwater habitats are also changed. So there was a study recently done in Spain, for example, when they looked at, you know, what happens in some of these sections of streams where there was one particular species of fish called a Mediterranean, a Mediterranean barbel. So that fish went extinct in certain localized areas. And you had massive, massive, massive effects. And these fish are not even, like, they're not large or, or you know, you, you won't look at them and think, oh, these are important. But the reality is that each of these fish species plays such an important role. And sometimes you know about it, sometimes we don't. But what we have observed through all these different studies is that once something happens, there's always a negative effect. And a primary productivity, for example, goes down. And all these different things, um, given the number of species of fish and, again, how much mass <laughs> they are just within the ecosystem, it really, really uh, you know, helps to keep everything running. So, I mean, I'm sure you've heard also of, you know, the cases where you get all these problems with runoff and then, um, you know, uh, so much nutrients, right, going into the water and then you get algal blooms and all of that. If you remove fish, you will get pretty much the same situation, right? It has been observed also where you get invasives coming in, killing off the native populations and you get all these algal blooms coming in, things getting poisoned. And I think it's very important to remember also that, you know, all the terrestrial environments that surround the freshwater environment, they too rely on the freshwater. So it's going to be one of those things. If the freshwater goes because the fish are not there, then the terrestrial environments will also be very, very badly affected. And very importantly, many animals depend on, on fish, right, for, for their food. So it will pretty much impact all, all the animals and the higher chains of the, of the food um, pyramid. So... So it's all interconnected and people often forget about it, unfortunately. So um, how threatened are fish in Southeast Asia compared to um, other regions? Is the situation of freshwater fish in Southeast Asia different to other parts of the world, say, I don't know, Latin America or Africa? But perhaps I'd let, let me take a sort of global perspective on it and then that could talk to you a little bit more about Southeast Asia. So, 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 so globally, f freshwater fish are threatened pretty much everywhere. Uh, and, and, and again, it goes back to that sort of relationship we have to our wetlands, so our rivers and our lakes. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we see them some often as wastelands or the places where we can dump our pollution or dump, you know, dump our waste. Uh, but, so, so there isn't. There's many places in the world where the freshwater fish are are threatened, and and there's, there's some places where there's very high levels of biodiversity, fish biodiversity, like Mexico or the Rift Valley lakes that I already mentioned, uh, uh, that are that are you know really are suffering in terms of species loss too. So so it's, it's something that's across across the globe. 
you know, even you know, even Europe and the US, uh, there's we're we're seeing a similar pattern, uh, and and that's a combination of, of neglect, but also of the of the relationship between wetlands and people, and 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 uh, the, the the threats that the fish face, but in South in Southeast Asia, uh, this is pretty intense for the, for those reasons, and, and maybe Nat can talk about that. So yeah, I mean. Um... Like Mike mentioned, this is pretty much a global problem. Um, in Southeast Asia, we get, I mean, population densities here are pretty high. So that, of course, when you get more people, you get even more effects, right, on the freshwater um, systems on which these people rely on. Um, it's also, Southeast Asia has also got quite a lot of interesting habitats, some of which people would consider to, to be terrestrial habitats, but also which harbor a lot of freshwater fish, so the peat swamps, for example. These are, a lot of people look at them and think, oh, you know, they're forests, and they are, but they also are very, very important habitats for this radiations of fish that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. So when you think about deforestation, which, you know, it's, it's a huge problem in East Asia, you're also talking about the destruction of all these water habitats that go together with the forest. Um, Southeast Asia also has a lot of issues with um, invasive species. So we have a lot of, uh, we, we do have some ancient lakes, for example. And of course, you know, in Africa, you have this problem with the Rifali and all of that. We have similar situations here. Um, so the 16 species that Nerissa was talking about, they come from an ancient lake in the Philippines. And a lot of the, that extinction was caused by some fishing, but also the introduction of other invasive species as food fish which then go in and decimate the local fish species. Um, so all of these things, um, they, they just work together, right? Which is why you get all these problems with uh, uh, Southeast Asian fish in general being so imperiled um, across all these different freshwater habitat types, across all the different taxon groups. So yeah, in Southeast Asia, it's pretty bad, but the rest of the world is also pretty bad. So just fish in general really do need a lot of help. What I draw from this is that the, the more people there are, the more um, they, they impact the environment and, and they make it worse for, for the fish, right? Like the, the population pressure is really high in, in Southeast Asia on, on these ecosystems, right? Is that what you were saying? Yes, that is definitely a part of it. I mean, there, there are many moving parts in this puzzle. Um, so that is one of the moving parts. And it's not just the population pressure coming from within the region, but it's also the demand for um, commodities which are coming from outside the region. So a lot of the pressure on um, sort of peat swamp forests, for example, is coming from the demand for um, commodities such as palm oil, which is coming you know, from consumers globally. Yeah, regarding palm oil, I've... I've, I've also done an interview about palm oil uh, with a conservationist who works in Indonesia and I've recently been really trying to to remove palm oil from my diet and it's so tough. Like when you look at all the candy, it's everywhere. Like all the best chocolates you can imagine, they have palm oil. I even contacted one uh, fair trade company that produces chocolate because I was very shocked that they also have palm oil because I wouldn't expect it in that company. But they replied to me, but I wasn't really satisfied. Like palm oil is everywhere and it's destroying the habitat so badly. It's it's really... It's a very difficult um, discussion, I think, and it's not a sort of 
good bad situation you know we have to look at how palm oil can be produced sustainably as well because it's a very efficient um, sort of vegetable crop to produce so it's yeah it's very complex along with many of the other conservation challenges we we're faced with today um yeah and it would be probably a topic for another discussion (laughs) and today we're talking about fish so um Monday Nature Show and ASAP are currently working on creating a conservation action plan for freshwater fish species. So how is this plan um, going to help protect fish in Southeast Asia? Narisa, maybe you can start and... Yeah, I'll um, start from the ASAP perspective. Uh, So um, in terms of ASAP species, freshwater fish actually make up over a third of all ASAP species. Um, so there's nearly a hundred freshwater fish which are listed as critically endangered in the region. And what's um, extremely worrying is that a third of those are actually listed as critically endangered, possibly extinct. Um, and as it's been alluded to in, in the previous discussions, you know, these species have been neglected and overlooked. And as Mike said, you know, in a lot of cases, people aren't really clear exactly what needs to be done. Um, So we've come together to um, sort of address this and um, recognize that there's a need to synthesize the available information there is and identify key needs and, and actions. And the idea is that this document will bring together sort of a variety of stakeholders because um, to address this, it's not just the conservation community. It needs to go you know, much wider than that and look at how we can catalyze conservation action um, to tackle this problem and identify sort of the most efficient ways that we can work towards protecting these species. So, so what will this um, ASAP action plan be about? Can you... Can you explain it in simple words for for the listener like what's going to be in the document and how the document is going to change the situation for the freshwater fish essentially we have uh you know over over 90 species uh that we need to to deal with urgently so we we have to remember that when we're talking about asap species that we're talking about the most threatened species these are ones on the the real verge of extinction uh, and so we need to act fast so when you have 92 species that we don't really know much about and, and there's not many much people doing things on we need to think about you know how 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 do we sort of escalate that action pretty fast and make sure that the attention is given to these species so that so so what we've we've done with the plan is is looked at all the different species and analyzed each of the species and this is the work that Nat's been doing collecting information and sorting and sorting the information uh and and then we start saying okay how best do we tackle this you know is it best do we you know do we need to change uh, the policies of all the governments in Southeast Asia, well, that, you know, that's going to be a tricky thing to do in the short term. You know, so, so we've, so the way we've done it at the moment is we've broken them up by country because usually the action will be undertaken by people in the, in those countries and their focus of attention will be in those countries. But we've also taken some, we've also identified some actions that could be done across the region and, and, uh, and Nat mentioned, for instance, peat swamp fishes and, and the palm oil issue. Uh, and it's something, uh, 
I don't want to say relative, relatively easy, but it's something we can see that you know that there are solutions to and we can take action. Uh, and many of these species are just found in very small fragmented pieces of forest. Uh, but just nobody's looking at them because we're, you know, we're, we're forgetting about the fishes uh, under, underneath these these trees. So 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 we can we can uh, take some topics and say, okay, let's focus on solving this one. Uh, um, so Pete uh, Pete swamps is another one. So another one in the in the region. Pete swamp is uh, the, these forests that are permanently flooded, uh, and they create this uh, massive layer of peat. Uh, and and they have specific uh, uh, conditions. It's very acidic, uh, black water conditions that fit, so, some fish completely lo love and rely on. Uh, and 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 many of them are extre extremely beautiful, by the way. Uh, and many of them are, are kept actually by the aquarium trade. But the, the, but they the, so so they're, they've spread mainly in um, uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. Uh, and these are the ones. These are the forests that you see on the news burning. So when you talk, when you hear about the smoke and the pollution, it's quite often these peat swamps because of peat catches on fire. Uh, and but actually, for fishes, the conservation strategy is fairly straightforward. We just need to find those places and those 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 fishes are saying, and see if we can just protect those bits of peat swamp, or even you know even making people aware that these fish are there because people, many people don't know them, uh, know that they're there. So that's that's one action we can take sort of across the region. But generally, it's really focusing mainly at, at each of the countries and 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 we've identified the topics that. that uh, and the species that we need to be focusing on in those countries. So, for instance, you've got the uh, Mekong countries. Many of the fishes are, uh, are fishes related to the Mekong itself and the issues of migrants. So, your listeners can't see the picture, but behind Narissa's head, she's got a picture of a giant catfish that swim uh, up and down the uh, the, the Mekong. Uh, and uh, these are enormous fishes, and they they need the full length of the mekon to breed and and to move up and down. But because dams are in place, uh, they they're not able to reach their breeding grounds. In fact, we don't even really know too much about where they breed and and what's going on. So so that's another example of something that we can work together. Uh, I mean, already there's quite a bit of work going on on the Mekong fishes too, uh, um, but there's so much more that we could do. So the action plan sort of divides up actions, identifies who's the best players, uh, who who needs to be to be focused on it. How how do we best tackle this? So it's you know it's like you know if your your house is a big mess after a party or something, and you've got to work out who does the dishes and who does who who cleans uh, the carpet, etc. So. Uh, you know, it's just really just a question of identifying the task and seeing who who can do it. And then the biggest issue is obviously we're going to be having to find raise the funds to 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 deliver on the action plan. And also the the, the biggest challenge probably in the region is finding the partners and the and the people to, that can take the action because we've got a long way to go before we have the capacity uh, to really to tackle this issue. And that's a big challenge for Southeast Asia. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to create this plan and then come to the people who should uh, implement it and discuss with them. But in order and you are also going to raise funds and you will give these funds to the people so that they can implement it. Or, or how is it going to work in practice? Well, yeah, you, you, you made it sound quite simple. <laughs> uh so that so writing the action plan is relatively easy compared to the second parts of it. So so the plan uh, the, the, the so the plan is being developed by you know all the experts in the region, and then we need to start 
um, promoting that plan and, and talking to the people that could be really delivering on the plan. And well, those biggest... will be, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but those will be who? Like um, people from the communities who, who live next to the rivers or, or uh, policymakers or, or what kind of organizations will these be? I mean, they they vary, obviously, uh, according to the challenge that they face. But very often, and this is quite characteristic of freshwater conservation, fish conservation, is that local communities, the people living close to those fishes, are the ones that can really take the action. Uh, and But they're very far away from the action plan. Uh, and and so, you know, we need to work in between. So either that we would be working with the, uh, the government uh, and saying we need to develop actions with these local communities or very often it's working with an intermediary organization like a conservation organization that might be working in that region and they will be supporting and working with the local communities so so one of the good things about southeast asia in terms of fish conservation there's many organizations that work very closely with local communities and they may have been doing that for other things like for, for primates or for you know and and they're very keen also to turn their attention to fishes Uh, and and the skills that they've learned over the years of working with local communities uh, can now be applied to working with with fisheries. And actually, local communities really do know how to because they've relied on fish, you know, very often. It's usually very intimately linked with their their lives. They know actually how to manage these fishes, but then they're not necessarily aware of the fact that these fishes are only found in in the local river. So um, so the so. Yeah, it's, it's making those links and helping to catalyze. And ultimately, the, the issue is, is funding. So, um, very concretely, are, are you going to tell the people not to uh, fish over certain, let's say, you will give them like limits or you will tell them not to pollute the rivers? Like, I, I would like to understand like very simply what how this plan is going to translate into daily actions of, of the people who live by the um, wetlands? I think at the end of the day, you know, it really depends on, again, which species you're talking about and what the, the main threat is over there. So for a lot of the species, actually, overfishing has not generally been a huge problem, or at least now, right? Maybe in the past, it's what caused the species to, you know, the species populations to plummet to this kind of a level. But for a lot of the critically endangered species, actually fishing in the modern day is not that big of a problem, right? So again, maybe it will not be about, you know, um, limiting catch because you're not even going after them anymore. But it could be things like protecting the spawning grounds, right? Or even finding out where the spawning grounds are because for a lot of these fish, it's not even, you know, properly known or documented where the spawning grounds actually are. Um, when it comes to things like pollution control, of course, there is, um, you will need to engage with authorities, you know, to do with, pol you know, policy interventions will be required. But it really, really depends on which species and what fish we're talking about, which is also why it's so important for us to engage with so many different um, organization types, right? Different types of organizations, different communities, because at the end of the day, if we are really going to have an impact on Uh, these fish, we will need to be able to talk to many different kinds of people. <laughs> yeah. Because in the introduction, I mentioned that there are different threats like pollution, aquatic habitat loss, um, invasive species, over-harvesting and water flow changes. So you will have to address a lot of issues, right? Yes, a lot of them. 
we, we have to we have to address a lot of issues, but not all of them are, are, are impacting every single species. So usually each species has one or two of those challenges, and 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 it's the solution is certainly not telling people what to do is is going to and. and and it's very rare in conservation that basically just telling people this is and restricting people uh, to do what they want to do is the solution. So, so, so what we, what we ultimately what we're doing is be working with the people that living with these fishes and finding solutions together about how they can, uh, like, set aside that area for protection, or or we can help you know reduce the pollution if it's a pollution issue that, that's coming into that area, or even if it is an overfishing issue about how to. Uh, uh, sometimes, very often, it's just an awareness issue that the local communities don't know that this fish uh, is threatened. Uh, but I mean, we're making it sound a little bit easy. But some of these, so, so some of the issues are are, are very large uh, uh, and quite difficult. So, you know, I mentioned the Mekong migrants uh, and and tr and the solutions to that to finding how to deal with you know the impacts of high, uh, hydropower dams uh, blocking the, the the mainstream of the Mekong you know that's quite that's an enormous challenge and that's something that's not going to be done by local communities that's going to be done with by working with the governments uh, and engineers and experts and understanding the ecosystem of the fishes so that we can find solutions so some of the challenges are huge uh, and another another one is invasive species for instance so many of these lakes are, are, are the, the, the fishes that are found in lakes are threatened by invasive species and quite often and so so in some cases that's because uh, hobbyists have released uh, their, their their fish from their fish tanks into the systems. So that's something we can do. We can solve, or, or at least stop from now on through education and awareness raising. Uh, sometimes it's it's about um, introducing food fishes. So Nat was talking about that earlier, where you, you know deliberately introduce the fish because it's going to it's big and it's easy to catch and and it's great for for food. But then it has an impact on all the other fishes in the in the lakes. So we can also deal with work with the governments about the policy of introducing fishes, and I think that's something that's sort of disappearing. But the the biggest issue is that the fish are already there, so these invasive fishes are there, uh, and uh, and finding a solution to that one is is really tough, uh, uh, and no one really knows quite how to how to do it. So we're testing out ideas uh, in, in some of the lakes. Um, but ultimately, there's, there's some challenges. So, so some things are really big and challenging, uh, and and it's, it's going to be difficult to deal with. But in many cases, uh, the solutions are local, and it's really about working in partnership with the people that live with it and know and know how to to uh, um, find solutions at that scale. In the document about the uh, action plan, I also read that uh, I also read about some proposed solutions like ex situ management, restoring habitats and migration routes. So can you uh, elaborate on that? In, in certain circumstances, well, as we mentioned before, these species are really on the, on the brink of extinction. Uh, and in many cases, we might not know what the solutions are. So quite often what we do in conservation when the situation's like that is to bring uh, so individuals into captivity uh, and breed them uh, in, in zoos or in, in our case, in aquariums. So, so by by so this is you know quite common uh, for for other types of uh, species, uh, um, but for fish uh, it's also a great solution because you can breed f fish in captivity in large numbers uh, and maintain a, a maintain a, a population. 
so that, that's one of the options that we have. So one, so and many of the fishes we know how to breed them because they've been bred in the aquarium trade. Uh, so the so the expertise is out there, uh, but the the question of it is is capacity and and how long do you keep these these fishes in captivity for? So, so so we've got the advantage that they're small. Well, very often they're they're small. Uh, we know how to look after them. There's many people that are quite uh, keen to look after them. Um, but the question is, is there any point doing that if the habitat's completely gone? Uh, and and, and that's a big question for conservation. <laughs> but quite often, that's not really a question of that. It's, it's, it's basically saying, well, we may find a solution to the habitat in the future. For, for, in, 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 for things like invasive species, we know, you know, we, it's a good chance that we'll find a solution to that issue in, in the next few years. So, so if we have a breeding population, uh, in captivity that we can then re reintroduce back into the wild uh, then we can restore the, and recover the populations and this has been done for you know many different species where uh, um, the species have been lost in the wild and then we, then but fortunately we had an insurance population either in a zoo or aquarium and quite often even the hobbyists you know there's examples of parrots for instance that that were extinct in the wild but fortunately some people have kept them as pets and they then bred it's a long process. It's not the cheapest thing to do in the world, but it's obviously the uh, it's obviously an answer to so, so many of these species. And, and and unfortunately for many of these ASAP species, this is one of the options that we should be think definitely thinking about for them, uh, because they really are on the brink. And who would who would be uh, breeding them? I mean, wh where would they be put in in zoos, in aquariums, or in some special centers? Zoos and aquariums definitely have a part to play. Um, as of now, the the role of zoos and aquariums hasn't been what it should be. Um, so, however, there there has been quite a lot of interest recently, especially uh, in zoos and aquariums, because a lot of the uh, these organizations are beginning to recognize the importance of all these freshwater fish uh, protection. So this is up and coming. Uh, but what we also hope to do, um, and that has is also that has been it, you know, actually quite powerful in some other parts of the world, is to actually harness um, the expertise and resources also of the aquarium hobbyists, so of people who love fish and who keep them at home, and this has you know been used really really powerfully. For example, in 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 the U.S. for um in not the U.S. small North America, right? Because the fish are from Mexico and all the way up. And these are fish called goodites, and they are actually being maintained very, very um, effectively by a group of hobbyists uh, in this organization called the Goodite Working Group. So if you can have something like that for Southeast Asian fishers, it could go a long way in helping to take some of the stress um, off um, the zoos and aquariums when it comes to maintaining uh, um, genetically viable populations. And this is also important because a lot of fish um, if you keep them, you know, if there's a very small founding population, you start having issues with inbreeding after a few generations. So fish start to have, you know, they start to come out all deformed or you have very, you know, high rates of death when they're young. So what hobbies can bring to the table besides expertise, which they already have, is also um, all these extra tanks at home that you can use to maintain you know, these larger uh, captive populations that then safeguards the genetic variability. Uh, of these species. Okay, wonderful. That's that's definitely an interesting solution. Uh, speaking of uh, the species on the brink, Narisa, can you estimate how much time do these 92 um, f fish species have 
left in the nature if, if we don't act immediately? Um, I wouldn't really want to put a figure on. I think it depends very much on, on the different species. As I said, out of the group of um, ASAP freshwater fishes, there's already a significant proportion which could already be extinct. And sort of surveys and um, uh, research to find out if those species still exist or not is, is desperately needed. Um, there's also quite a number of um, fish on the list which haven't been seen for a number of years, you know, some of them for over 50 years or, or longer. Um, so there's fish which have been described um, even 100 years ago and then not really seen since, um, but also there haven't really been people out there looking. Um, so I think there's a bit of a, a mixture with um, sort of the threats versus, you know, the actual attention and focus. And so part of what we're trying to do is really raise that awareness, get the resources needed to have action happening on the ground. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to turn things around and, and not lose more of these species. So, so these 92 fishes are divided into kind of two groups. So one which were discovered but haven't been seen for many years. That's like a half of them, you said. And then the other that are critically endangered but have been seen. Or maybe I got you wrong. No, sorry. So they're all listed as critically endangered. So the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species sort of carries out assessments um, to assess the conservation status of, of species. So all of the, the species we're looking at under the ASAP umbrella are listed as critically endangered. But under that um, sort of conservation status, there's also ones which are listed as critically endangered and possibly extinct. So they're not being declared extinct yet, but there's a very high um, possibility that they are already extinct. And um, so out of the ASAP list, there's about, uh, there's nearly 30 which are actually listed as possibly extinct. So it's a really, you know, huge proportion. Um, and so there does need to be some uh, focus on determining whether these species still exist. Um, but then there's also species which are not listed as possibly extinct, but haven't been seen for a number of years. And um, in large part, that's because people aren't actually looking for this for the species. So, for example, I was asking this question because when I was um, conducting an interview with Bill Robisha about Saola, I mean, of course, you can never tell how much time the animal has left in, life, in, in nature because there can always be some animals hiding. But if, if the population is so low, for example, under 100 individuals or even under 50 individuals, you can you need a certain sustainable population so that it survives into nature. So you could kind of estimate that Saula has these or these many years left. So in in these um, populations of, of like, how big are the populations of these critically endangered um, fish? Like, do they have 20, 30 years or just two years because there are just two fishes swimming there of a certain kind? For most of these species, we we really don't have a, a good idea on, on specific sort of population numbers. But Nat can maybe give some more details. 
Yeah, it's really tricky with a lot of these fish. So for some of them, um, I mean, you, you, you just, for quite a few of them, I remember the estimated population size is something between like 1 to 49. So for individuals, for species like that, it's going to be, you know, they really do not have much time. Uh, for some of the others, you know, where, where you get higher population numbers, maybe you will then, I guess, have a little bit more time. But it really also depends on a lot of other things, like some of the larger migratory fish, for example. Um, the populations within the river are extremely, extremely uh, imperiled. But you do get people kind of breeding them on the side in reservoirs and all of that. But it's at that point also you get into all these, you know, complicated questions about you know, the, the reservoir fish, right? You know, they've been kind of domesticated or they've undergone a little bit of that, of that domestication process. And the genetics are, of course, also different. So then would you really consider that to be the same as the wild fish within the rivers, right? So it's not always a very straightforward um, question to answer, I think. But I guess overall, it really would depend. For some of the species, it's extremely critical. And for some of the others, maybe you have a little bit more time. But even the ones for which you have a bit more time, given how they're all critically endangered, you don't really have that much more time. So, yeah, these all just need really urgent action. I mean, I think that, I mean, we're talking about freshwater fish, but we're talking about, you know, over 90 different species which have very different biology and um, different threats that they're facing. Um, and different habitat requirements and, and other issues. And so for some of the species um, which are very localised and maybe only found in single um, locations, you know, if they do have a serious um, threat facing them, you can potentially have the whole population wiped out almost overnight. Um, so it's, it's very hard to kind of say as a blanket, you know, for all the, the ASAP um, freshwater fish. Um, but I think the key message is that, you know, action is needed really urgently um, to avoid extinctions. Yeah, I mean, let me just add a little bit. It's definitely not the same situation as a sour in, in most, where there's just a, possibly just a few individuals and in and in those individuals might not even be meeting. Uh, and then and you've got the issues of, with, uh, you know, genetic a small genetic pool I th but one of the things we've done in the plan is also look at the feasibility uh, of finding these fishes and so so the ones that are potentially extinct you know we've we divided them so into what into two things one was called active and active search for them and, and understanding because we believe that's probably that they've just been overlooked or you know there hasn't been enough knowledge about the population and so it's definitely worth going out and actively uh, looking to where the, the, these fishes might be uh, and, and then there's some species uh, that we put into passive search where we feel like they haven't been seen for 100 years. And a lot of these are found in Java where there's such an intense, uh, dense pop human population uh, and that is going to be the effort to find these fishes are going to be is going to be very difficult. So it's more about hoping that there might be some local people that. Uh, university students locally that might have an interest to go and look for it or, or you know but rather than but we wouldn't put it in the same pot as some of the other other fishes that we we need to raise money and put active uh investment into so, so but but it's generally more about that rather than uh worrying about whether the population's got so small that the, gen the genetic pool's got too small like for instance you know salva that you mentioned 
And speaking of the urgency, uh, in which phase is the action plan? When when is it going to be published? We we, uh, we, we at the moment we're at the close to the finishing the very first draft of it, uh, and then then the, the important stage is to get the consultation, uh, with, with much wider consultation, and, and then that would also help us identify uh the priorities and, and sort of really say say okay we've listed all these things we've identified some of the priorities but really what do you what do we as a group of experts and a group of conservation uh people in the region think like this is what we really need to do first so um but but generally the plan um isn't a, because it's all such high priority and the actions will be probably more or less spread out by country. There isn't really many much scope for sort of saying this is high priority or this is low priority, but we can certainly do that. So we'll be doing that in the uh, in the next couple of months, uh, and, and then we're hoping to release the plan uh, t towards the middle of the year. Okay, so around summer. Yeah, the uh, the plan's actually taken us a lot longer than we hoped because the normal way of doing these plans is bringing together a whole bunch of people into a room uh, and discuss all the different species and bring our knowledge together uh, and, and facilitate a sort of in a workshop setting you know how to the action plan but because of covid we have not been able to bring people together uh and and so the so the that sort of process of uh of planning and sharing uh, ideas is is much more difficult so um but uh we're happy to do that process now uh, virtually you know online with, with with the people that we need to talk to yeah, yeah, COVID is, is messing up with everything. We were also supposed to do this interview like a couple of months back, but we are doing it now and, and that's that's fine. Let's hope that the plan will be done and that you will be able to protect the fishes. Um, one of my last question is, are there any efforts currently um, to protect the fish in Southeast Asia? For example, one of the fishes on the list? Who's bad? Uh... Let, let me have a go at that and then and maybe Nerissa and that will can jump in because so, so in, in general uh for going through the action plan i would say that the vast majority of the fishes there is no action going on at, at all for them um but uh certain fishes there there is some there's some work going on uh very often the research that is, is sort of more inclined towards research side so you know people looking uh, going into the field and understanding the sort of distribution of the of the fishes and 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 what fishes might be in certain places, but even that's very scarcely done uh, in the region. Um, and but the, I, I would say that the the, the some the, out of all the species on the list, the ones that have had some conservation attention are probably those Mekong Mekong fishes, uh, and and there has been uh, some work. Uh, there's a there's an ongoing project called the Wonders of the Mekong, for instance, which is really focusing on these these very large, extremely large uh, fish in the in the Mekong, uh, and and they're, they're doing the beginnings of the work in terms of understanding of where these species are and and what the, and how, what the solutions to the conservation are. So so at least those have got some investment, but very far from I would say still very far from. Uh, what is required there's some other fishes that have some attention uh, we've got we, there's a group of fishes on the list that um, called the paraphaminas so these are the ones that are living in in um, peat swamps they're beautiful tiny colorful fish 
uh, whereby the hobbyists are the, the ones driving the conservation. So they're going out looking for these fish, identifying new species. This year they found two new species. Uh, and, um, and then trying to generate sort of funding and, and activity on the ground for different species. So, but I would say the vast majority of it, there's very little going on. In, in terms of active conservations and you know shoal and asap are you know supporting projects uh for some of those fishes already i mean one one thing we should say is that the action plan although it's not completely released and finished the the the, the priorities and and the actions are already pretty quite clear in them so we're able to sort of begin already triggering uh and working with partners for certain species thank you narissa would you like to follow up or nathaniel um, yeah, I think Mike covered most of it. I mean, the Mekong giants are, are probably the, the species which have had the most um, conservation attention up until now. Um, a lot of um, focus around the fish has tend to be much more on the research or taxonomy side. And what we're trying to do is really bring in that conservation action element. So we're not just recording the decline and disappearance of these species we were actually um, ensuring that you know actions are happening on the ground which which stop those declines and um, we're actively working um, to identify and support organizations who are looking at the conservation of these species and we're hoping um, in the next year to be supporting um, a few projects on conservation action of fishes on the ground. So fingers crossed. And, you know, a big part of, of this, as Mike said, is also bringing the donors on board and um, increasing the the financial resources to support conservation action of, of fish. Nathaniel, since you're the fish expert here, have you, have you uh, noticed any successful initiatives in protecting fish? Mm, there has been some. So um, that, that group that Mike mentioned, the, the group that's working on Paris Prominus, um, they have actually had uh, sought interest right, from some other zoos. So I think Chester Zoo in the UK, for example, is now actively involved in conservation breeding of some of these fish. And also, importantly, there is uh, the Taman Safari, the Taman Safari group in, in, in um, Indonesia is also, they are very actively taking a role in you know, setting up ex situ uh, breeding colonies or some of their peatland uh, fishes. So these things are happening. Um, they are definitely not at the kind of level that they need to be at right now, but there are efforts, though a lot of them, they're kind of just starting or they're, you know, they're, they're quite new. But these things are the beginning and they will hopefully continue on in the future and grow and, yeah, help to protect these fish. Exactly. Let's hope that there will be more efforts and more people engaged in fish conservation. And with that, I would like to uh, thank all of you, Narissa, Nathaniel and Mike, for for this wonderful interview. Um, thank you for, for doing this great work and I wish you all the best in your efforts. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to Nature Solutionaries. If you like this episode and think your network might be interested, please help spread the word on social media. And if you don't want to miss another episode, you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. If you enjoy this podcast, please write a review. This helps other people find the show and learn about the most important conservation efforts of today. For more podcasts, visit veronikaperkova.com slash naturesolutionaries. I'm Veronika Berkova and I look forward to talking to you soon.